Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, we'll have updates about the coronavirus from the State Health Department, Columbus Public Health, and from the OSU Wexner Medical Center. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS10TV, Tracy Townsend talks to candidates for next year's race for Ohio Attorney General. Also to Democratic Congresswoman Joyce Beatty of Columbus about the House Committee investigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. And to U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about Democrats' ongoing efforts to pass the Build Back Better legislation. And I'll wrap up the hour talking to Susan Che, Executive Director of Ohio Legal Help. First up on Columbus Perspective, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, Director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a news conference on Thursday to update Ohioans on the coronavirus. This runs about six minutes. Here's Dr. Vanderhoff. Our hospitals are literally pleading with members of their communities to choose to be vaccinated. The simple facts are that when our hospital staff are facing what they are now facing, Emergency room waits can be extended and planned surgeries and treatments may be postponed. All these patients require time, staff, and resources that are above and beyond what our hospitals are accustomed to handling this time of year. This means people arriving at the emergency room for things such as fractures, acute injuries, even heart attacks may have to wait because rooms and staff are occupied with patients with COVID-19. All of us, regardless of where we live in Ohio, need to work together to take pressure off our hospital systems so they can continue to give us the best care possible when we need it. Whether we're someone with a broken bone, in a car accident, or suffering a stroke. However, when people flood emergency rooms looking for COVID-19 tests or are severely ill with COVID-19, it makes it difficult for everyone to get quick access to the life-saving care they need. Yesterday, we reported an all-time high of COVID-19 cases, with 12,502 cases seen within the previous 24 hours. That same day, there were close to 4,797 people fighting COVID-19 in our hospitals, more than 1,200 of them in the ICU, and almost 800 on ventilators. All these patients require time, staff, and resources that are above and beyond what our hospitals are accustomed to handling this time of year. With these numbers, we have a troubling picture, one that should be a wake-up call for every Ohioan as we think about our risk of getting sick with COVID-19, especially as we think about gatherings with loved ones for the holidays. And I think with that in mind, it's important for us to remember that not all cases of COVID are the same. There's a real difference between getting COVID-19 if you're unvaccinated versus getting it if you're vaccinated, especially if you're up to date with a timely booster. While there is a chance, particularly with the Omicron variant, for a fully vaccinated Ohioan to get COVID-19, the good news is that when you're vaccinated, you can feel confident this holiday season that because you're vaccinated, 
your risk of developing severe disease, especially the kind that lands you in an ICU, is very low. The same is not true for the unvaccinated. Remembering that it's the unvaccinated who are filling our hospital beds. The fact is that if you're vaccinated and contract COVID-19, you'll probably have milder symptoms, if you have any. Symptoms that are more like a cold or symptoms for sure are very unlikely to place you in a hospital. However, if you're unvaccinated, you're not only at greater risk for getting COVID-19, you're much more likely to develop a severe case of COVID-19, one that leads to hospitalization or death. Sadly, yesterday alone, there were 584 new hospitalizations reported among COVID-19 patients. Now, we should all be very concerned by the tidal wave of COVID-19 hospitalizations, which, again, are driven largely by unvaccinated Ohioans. The Delta and the Omicron variants are both highly contagious and spread easily when you cough, sneeze, or even talk. And when you aren't vaccinated, you're at particularly high risk for being infected with the virus. And whether you end up in the hospital or worse, really is a roll of the dice. COVID-19 is relentlessly seeking out those who are not well protected. And choosing not to be vaccinated is simply a gamble with your health. Are you willing to take that risk or be the reason why a loved one takes that risk? Please, get vaccinated. If it's time, get your booster and use preventative measures to protect yourself and others. The reason our hospitals are pleading with Ohioans to get vaccinated, the vast majority of COVID hospitalizations are in fact being driven by the unvaccinated. And hence, those hospitalizations are preventable by vaccination. Our hospitals need our help now. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff with an update on the coronavirus in Ohio. Also providing an update in just the last few days, Columbus Public Health. Commissioner Dr. Mashika Roberts led this news conference to update central Ohioans on what's going on with the coronavirus, along with a couple of other speakers we're presenting. This runs about 10 minutes. Here's Dr. Roberts. Good morning and welcome to Columbus Public Health. Thanks for everyone being here this morning. As we soon head into our third year of the pandemic, we find ourselves at yet another critical juncture in this COVID-19 fight. Over the past week, Franklin County cases increased again by 11% to 341 cases per 100,000, indicating very high community transmission. Our positivity rate is now at 11.4, compared to 8.6% just a month ago. And hospital admissions have increased 2% just last week. And that's on top of the 19% increase just two weeks ago. These trends are placing a tremendous and dangerous strain on our hospitals, as well as our frontline workers, who have been tirelessly working since the beginning of the pandemic. 
Here to tell more is Dr. Andy Thomas, Chief Medical Officer of OSU's Wexner Medical Center and Zone, T, Zone 2 lead. Dr. Thomas? Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, uh, Mashika. <clears throat> so I'm here to represent the over 40 hospitals and health systems in Zone 2 that stretch from the, co the counties in central Ohio up to the northwest to kind of the upper Sandusky and Bellfountain areas, and then down 23, down 33, and out 70 east, that southeastern quadrant of the state. What we've seen over the past uh, month has been really interesting. Uh, we, of course, had the Delta surge. Uh, over the started over the summer, and we reached a peak of hospital census in September of around a thousand patients with active COVID in our zone in the hospital. Now, this time last year, on our worst day in December of 2020, we were at around 1,200 patients. By the first week of November, we had gotten back down from a thousand patients down to about 400 patients in the hospital. But over the last six weeks, we've done nothing but have a steady increase to the point where we're now near 900 patients in the hospital with active COVID again. If you look at the admissions and discharges, our, our admission rates are as high as they've been since last January in terms of the actual number of people being admitted every day. Even though our numbers have stayed flat for the past week, that's been based on really high numbers of discharges too. So I know at Ohio State, uh, we are today tied for our highest numbers of patients since mid-January of 2021. And many of you know, last Friday, we made the difficult announcement, as some of my other colleagues here have done over the past uh, week, of limiting elective surgeries for inpatient cases to preserve bed capacity for COVID patients. So not only are we in a really difficult spot today, but what we see going on in Northeast Ohio is incredibly concerning. This is not going on in Europe. This is not going on in Asia. This is not even going on in New York. This is going on in Cleveland, in Akron, Canton, and Youngstown today. Dr. Roberts talked about our increase in cases here locally. In Cuyahoga County, they've seen a fourfold increase in cases from an average of 500 to 600 per day to over 2,000 a day just in the past week. And as many of you know, on Friday, the governor asked the National Guard to actually deploy and, and mobilize non-clinical staff to work in our hospitals. People just to help with food service, to help with transporting patients, to help with cleaning rooms. Our colleagues at the Cleveland Clinic have a significant number of their staff. They live in these same communities. They are actually out sick. This is a coming crisis for Central Ohio in a way we probably haven't seen before. And that's shocking to say, given what we've seen since March of 2020. This is going to be serious over the next two to four weeks, and we need to be prepared for it. So for every business owner in this community, if you want to keep your business open, I think you need to go back to masks for your employees and masks for your customers. If you are a school district who plans to have in-person classes in January, you need to be prepared to do masking in the classroom, in school settings, or your school will most likely have so many kids out sick that you will have to go back to virtual class. This is critical to, for people to think about these things now and not wait till the first week of January when it's gotten worse. Take this time over the next two weeks when things are a little slower in your business or slower in your school district. People are now off for the holidays to plan what is it going to look like in January. So with that, um, I'm going to turn things over to Nate Royster. Nate is one of our outstanding emergency department nurses at Ohio State. He has been on, and his colleagues have been on the front line of this now for going on 22 months 
Uh, very proud to uh, have him here today to talk a little bit about his experience uh, at Ohio State. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Nate Royster. Um, I've been an ED charge nurse at OSU for the past two years. Um, it's been a little bit crazy, to say the least. Um, a year ago, I was getting you know, the very first COVID vaccine with 29 other individuals going into the next year, very hopeful, very you know, grateful, very humbled, and you know, excited for you know, um, a change or an end of this you know, pandemic. And now we're kind of hitting this wave where we're starting to see that, you know, these new variants and, you know, not enough vaccinations and people not wearing their masks to where we're kind of backtracking and backpedaling um, and getting into a worse spot than where we were previously. Um, I can speak for all the EDs in Central Ohio. We are completely full, completely congested. Um, we've been on citywide divert, which is where, you know, three hospitals in Central Ohio um, end up being so full that they need to divert patients away because they just simply don't have the staff or the capacity to care for patients anymore. Um, so when three of those hospitals go on, then the whole city has to cycle through, you know, sharing the medics as, as they're dispersed through the city. Um, and that just creates even more congestion. We've seen record um, numbers of patients in our lobby. Um, we've seen a lot of patients that are stuck down in the ER um, waiting for a bed upstairs because there's just simply no place for them to go, um, whether that be staffing issues or whether that be um, just no beds available for any physical space. Um, it's been very challenging, um, and it's very hard to kind of be there and be the person that sorts who gets a bed and who doesn't. When there's 60 people in front of you and they're all there for different complaints and all of them, you know, feel like they are at the, you know, the worst time of their life or they're feeling the worst symptoms they've ever felt, it's hard to sit and morally decide who gets to go back next, who gets to go. Is it the person who's been waiting in the lobby for 16 hours or is it this person who's coming in as a level one stroke? And it's just very difficult, and we're, you know, working as hard as we can. You know, nurses are taking extra patients. We're going out of our way to accommodate as much as we can. And we just have to kind of meet people where they're at and try to explain to them as best as we can that we're doing everything that we can. If we had it our way, we'd be treating everybody all at once. We'd be getting everybody seen as soon as possible, but we just simply don't have the space. And what I try to tell patients is it's just like Amazon, how your packages are showing up a little bit late. And, you know, they just, they just don't have the employees or the staff to deliver those packages on time. So all the patients are stuck in a warehouse and we want to deliver you to a patient bed. But we just simply don't have the staff and we simply just don't have the capacity to do that. Um, getting vaccinated and, you know, wearing your mask and everything. We've seen in the ER that the patients who are vaccinated and also have gotten their booster as well have, are able to be discharged with if they do um, come down with COVID. They're able to just be discharged and can, you know, monitor themselves at home. But the people who don't have any type of immunity built up to the vaccine or to the virus um, or no vaccination whatsoever, these patients are getting, you know, admitted to the ICU. They're getting admitted to the progressive care units. And, like, they're having hospital stays that are way beyond what they would normally need had they gotten the vaccine. And, you know, people look into you in the eyes and they're like, I, I didn't get the vaccine. Can I get it now? And it's just we can't do anything at this point. We just have to monitor and treat you and treat your symptoms and do the best that we can to you know, keep you as healthy as po uh, possible. Um, but when there's physically no space, it just makes it a lot more difficult and a lot more challenging. And even the people who don't have COVID and are coming in for, you know, their chronic health conditions, such as heart attacks or strokes, they're receiving uh, issues receiving care as well because there's just simply no space whatsoever. 
Um, I'm very proud to be an ER nurse, and I'm very proud of all the ER nurses, not at OSU, but also across the um, state. Uh, we're doing everything we can. I know that everybody's working tirelessly. We've gotten no break. Um, you know, we don't know what we're walking into. We go into a patient's room. We don't know if they're COVID positive or COVID negative. We're the ones doing the initial testing. We, you know, we're exposing ourselves and putting ourselves at risk. So we're really on the front lines down there. Um, we've seen, you know, staff members that come down with COVID and uh, it's led to you know, severe staffing complications um, just because there is just such a large volume of people and we don't know what we're necessarily walking into. Even taking the appropriate PPE precautions, it's just a high risk environment for all the nurses. And we're seeing a lot of fatigue and a lot of burnout going on because nurses are just simply run down for all 12 hours that they're there. And nurses are also dedicating extra hours to help cover in those, you know, gaps that we have in our staffing and that just leads to even more fatigue and more increased risk for covid so if you can just do what you can to wear your mask in public please get your vaccinations before going around your family members you don't want to be you know the reason that someone in your family ends up in the hospital um, because you expose them to something that you didn't know you had information from a news conference held this week by health officials in central ohio This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Ohio needs an attorney general that's uh, willing to fight for them. Some new competition in the race for Ohio attorney general. What he says he would do day one if he gets elected. Former White House Chiefs of staff Mark Meadows found in contempt of Congress over that January 6th Capitol attack. An Ohio lawmaker who was at the Capitol that day weighs in on this past week's decision and what should happen next. And a backlog of COVID-19 cases in our state. What Ohio is doing to make sure the data is as accurate as possible. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State this morning. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start with a new entry in the race for Ohio Attorney General. State Rep Jeffrey Crossman, a Democrat from the Cleveland area. State Crossman's campaign I've touts his working class background and an upbringing. This in an ad that was released this week. He served in the Ohio House since 2019, representing the 15th district, which includes Parma, Brooklyn Heights, Cuyahoga Heights, and parts of Cleveland. Crossman is a practicing attorney. We talked with him on the morning that he made his announcement of his campaign. Ohio needs an attorney general that's uh, willing to fight for them uh, and uh, stand up and hold folks accountable and uh, continue to advocate for things like transparency and, and fairness to Ohioans. Uh, it's a continuation of the work I've been doing in the state house. Crossman told us what he would do first if elected specifically in response to House Bill 6 and the nuclear bribery scandal. As the attorney general, I would immediately open an investigation to find out exactly what happened. We've been trying to, as a state legislator, uh, advocate for transparency, ask for records from the governor, from the lieutenant governor, from the PCO to find out the scope and breadth of this scandal. Uh, but we have been stonewalled from minute one. Uh, from the attorney's general position, you can actually subpoena those records and get to the bottom of it. Election for attorney general is next November. There's a primary scheduled for May. 10TV's Lindsay Mills talked with the current attorney general, Dave Yost, before Crossman's announcement. Yost talked about what he planned to focus on in 2022. What will you be focusing on in the new year as attorney general? What efforts will our state be seeing you lead? Obviously, police training, uh, continuing human trafficking, uh, protecting the environment, 
Um, we've got a long list of things that are important. But maybe the most important, the overarching rule, whether you're talking about law enforcement or the environment uh, or other safety issues, uh, consumer transactions, the marketplace fairness and competitiveness, the rule of law, the same rules for everybody, poor, rich, powerful, doesn't matter, same rules for everybody. Uh, I hope that when I finally leave office, people going to look back and say whether they agreed or disagreed with a specific action, they say Dave Yost kept the same rules for everybody. Face the State is catching up with several key players in the state, asking them about big topics from 2021 and looking ahead to 2022. Next week, hear from the director of the Ohio Department of Health, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, as well as Lieutenant Governor John Husted. Then the first week of 2022, we are talking one-on-one with Governor Mike DeWine. This week, I caught up with Congresswoman Joyce Beatty to talk about what's happening in Washington, D.C., and that includes the new developments in the investigation into the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, plus the recent signing of the infrastructure bill and how it will impact our state. They think of, how am I affected by improving the roads and the bridges? Well, you ever ran over a pothole and wanted to call the city because you were so upset to what happened to your tire or your car? It will give us those kinds of dollars that come from the federal level back to the states. And I can tell you that Franklin County and our surrounding counties will do okay because of the infrastructure bill. We saw that Mark Meadows has really been in the spotlight Um, What would you like to see in terms of the Department of Justice and how it handles uh, what happens next with him? We want just that, fairness and justice. I don't think you get to be chief of staff to the president of the United States and decide when or when you're not going to be truthful. When we look at what happened on January the 6th, I was there. So I applaud this January 6th select committee and Congressman Benny Thompson, who is heading it up, and all the stellar Democrat and Republican members. Liz Cheney has done an amazing job of showing the country that we can be about justice and we can be about fairness. But when you look at Meadows, who's writing a book, who delivered over 600 different articles about what happened. And now he wants to pull back because he's afraid that he could put himself in contempt. I applaud the committee. I applaud the Congress that we were able to do what the American people elected us to do. And that's not to be afraid, whether it is someone who has served in Congress, served for the president of the United States, He made his bed hard, and now he has to lie in it. What we're seeing from some of the members there who don't want to be associated with the last regime and all that's happened, look at the number of people who are incarcerated because of their attachment with the last president. So I say to my colleagues, be very careful because we're on very dangerous grounds, and the American people are asking us to bring justice back to our congressional votes, to bring justice back, to make sure that we represent what the Constitution tells us to do. And that's what that select committee is doing.
But when you think about the number of lives that were lost on January the 6th, when you think of the fact that you had people tearing down our democracy, scaling the walls of the United States Congress as domestic terrorists, white supremacy at its best, overtaking the Capitol, we cannot allow this to go unnoticed. We cannot let this go without bringing justice to all of those members, leadership, and even the past president for their involvement in knowing about this. Senator Sherrod Brown is pushing for the child tax credit to be extended. He says it's a critical move for Ohio families. The 15th of every month since July, July 15th, August, September, October, November, December, uh, families have gotten direct deposit in their bank accounts. 90% of families with children direct deposit or in their mailbox um, at least $250. Um, and if they have more children, it's larger than that. And it's made a difference. It makes a difference for child care, for buying diapers if, they're, if they have babies, uh, putting a little money aside for college for their for their old teenage children. It's mattered uh, for um, just the, the, the daily challenges of life, putting food on the table. And so many families struggle with their rent every month. And it just makes life, life a little easier and better for, for literally more than a million Ohio families. Part of the Build Back Better plan includes extending that child tax credit. The nearly $2 trillion economic and climate package is stalled. But President Biden says he's determined to get the measure to the Senate floor as soon as possible. We asked Senator Brown what needs to happen to get that bill passed. We start with all 50 Republicans are voting no and 48 Democrats are voting yes and the other two Democrats we need to bring along. And it's got it's got a lot of things that matter. Let me just do two. One is uh, the child tax credit is the largest single tax cut for working families in, in the country's history. 90, literally 92%, 92% of Ohio's families with kids under 18 will get at least a $3,000 tax cut. Uh, and that we know how much that matters to families. It's been in effect for six months. We want to extend it into the future as many years as we can. Um, another thing that matters for families is is finally, finally, Congress stood up to the drug industry, the pharma, big pharmaceutical companies, and we're going to negotiate drug prices directly on behalf of Medicare beneficiaries with the drug industry. That's what we do with the VA, and it's cut drug prices for a lot of drugs by half or more. So those are two things that really matter in Build Back Better that, that will affect people's lives directly. Omicron is in Ohio. The newest COVID-19 variant is spreading fast, and health experts are predicting a punishing wave of cases come January. We asked Governor Mike DeWine for his response to Omicron showing up in the state. The Delta uh, is still, we're still losing 30 to 40 people a day in Ohio who are dying. Uh, almost all of those deaths are preventable. They're preventable because most of the people who died tragically were not vaccinated. Um, and then you have Christmas. Christmas is coming. We're all going to be together. I know Fran and I are looking forward to being together with, with our family. And that booster shot uh, for those Ohioans who have been vaccinated but have not gotten the booster, it's really now time this week to, to get that booster. It, it really works very, very well. Uh, I'm not a medical doctor, but I talked to the, the, the doctors and, uh, you know, I was exposed uh, to someone who um, 
you know, had COVID. We didn't know it. I was in the car of that person probably 15, 16 hours uh, that day and did not end up getting it. And I think, you know, at least the doctors tell me one of the reasons maybe I didn't get it was because of the booster shot. So I, I think the message this week is it's time to get the booster. Ohio's population is declining. Still to come, what one lawmaker is proposing the state do to change that, how he thinks college scholarships and tax breaks will draw people to the Buckeye State and keep them here. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. In the State House, a plan supporters say will save millions of dollars was rolled out. It's Lieutenant necessary. Governor John Husted and others introduced Innovate the Code legislation. Proponents say the legislation is aimed at reducing Ohio state government regulations. Under the concept, Ohioans would receive state tax documents electronically. Husted and others say it's not only financial improvements, but labor improvements as well. Regulations must reflect the way that we live in today's world. Outdated laws and regulations are costly and slow down business uh, and people, installing innovation and job creation. The reforms we are making in this legislation remove outdated communication requirements and unnecessary barriers from the revised code. These reforms move the needle on, uh, on our goal of improving customer service across all of state government while also over the next 10 years saving an estimated $44 million. I believe it will be more, but we can conservatively say it will be $44 million in taxpayer dollars and saving the state approximately 58,000 hours of labor through these efficiency improvements. There is a push to add to Ohio's population. We're just sadly uh, having a huge population dip uh, over the next several years. And so where do we find more people? It's just that simple. Where do we find more people? Outside of creating another baby booming generation, how are we going to fill the void in every industry? We know nursing is hot right now. We know law enforcement is a a, a major uh, industry that's looking for people. Um, engineering, all those segments will will uh, fluctuate over several years. And, and some industries will be hot one year and others not. But we know that overall, uh, we have to do what we can to attract and retain people to fill a, a void that's coming and, and, a, and, a, and a decline of population. The new bill titled the Grow Ohio Act is aimed at incentivizing people to go to college, come to college here in Ohio and work here once they graduate. Under the plan, Ohio, Ohio college graduates who work in the state after graduation will get refunded all of their state income tax for three years. The plan also includes a merit-based scholarship for out-of-state college students and a refundable credit for Ohio employers to offer paid internships. State Rep John Cross says they don't know how much the program would cost, but he says the state can't afford to do nothing. I don't believe that's going to cost the state because if we didn't keep those students here, we would have lost that revenue regardless. And so... Uh, it's just maybe just a further delay of when we uh, collect taxes years four through 99. See, that's the whole goal. It's about getting him to, to uh, raise their family here, to invest in their careers here, to stay here in Ohio. And if we do that, the greedy tax collector will be here and they'll collect their taxes years four through 99. But the state's in a good, healthy financial position right now to offer this incentive. And um, 
And so I'm, I'm pretty bullish to think that as we look at this cost and eventually get those numbers in uh, and, and dynamic score this, uh, this, this could be a, uh, a net zero sum gain or loss to the state because of the amount of people that are leaving now and what we're doing to help gain those people back. Cross hopes the bill will be approved next year. He says he's getting feedback that bipartisan politics is the reason people aren't moving to and staying in Ohio. Here's his response to that thinking. It's because uh, some of it could be weather based, but other could be uh, that people have more flexibility to live wherever they want. And are there better states that have better tax structures? You know, we talk about income tax and that and the three-year break we're offering students. It would be great to have no state income tax in the state of Ohio to become the 12th state in the country that doesn't have state income tax uh, to offer uh, the incentive to everybody. And so really that's the kind of policies that I think that we need to look at in the state of Ohio that really help everybody with every age group, with every industry, is our, our tax structure, our quality of life and our cost of living. And I think we have a great quality of life here. I think we have a great cost of living. And I think we can work on continuing to make sure that we uh, uh, we offer taxpayers here in Ohio a place where we ask for little and they gain a lot. And, uh, and, and I think this policy complements what we're trying to do overall for everybody in the state. As we push to get more families to come to Ohio, we need to make sure kids get the best education starting at an early age. That's the goal of a new committee named Ohio's publicly funded Child Care and Step Up to Quality program. It will focus on early learning initiatives and also look into whether publicly funded child care is a long-term option in Ohio. Representative Mary Lightbody serves on that committee. She talked with us about the importance of this. I'm really looking forward to the work that our committee is going to do in terms of pulling together multiple voices from around the state, people who are involved in the program as providers, from parents, from uh, uh, those of us who are in the, in the legislature, so that we can look hard at this issue and come forth with a very, uh, a very strong, forward-looking um, resolution to uh, provide the, the legislation we need to uh, address the issues to increase the number of child care programs that are available that are going to provide the learning experiences for the children and and keep the expenses down for working families. It's a it's a workforce issue as much as anything. Um, but the other piece of this is if we can invest early in our children, given how much of their brain development happens in the first three years of life, the more engaged they are, the more they're learning in those early years the better prepared they're going to be for kindergarten. And our return on investment is going to pay out in the long run. LifeBuddy says the committee will meet once a month for the next 12 months and then present their findings. Sports betting. Lawmakers passed a bill to create 25 online sports betting licenses that would include the state's 11 casinos and racinos. Governor DeWine says... The reality is that we have sports betting in Ohio today. The only question is, are we going to regulate it, um, and how are we going to regulate it? It's uh, the reality of where we are today. Other states have it. Uh, the way that most people are going to be betting is actually on their app, uh, which is the way that people are betting now, many times offshore. So uh, it's here. 
There are concerns that the Ohio Casino Control Commission is running the program, not the Ohio Lottery. A lawsuit over that could prevent the state from launching sports gambling in January of 2023. We will monitor this and keep you posted on the developments. Legislation aimed at getting rid of concealed carry permits passed the state Senate. What it means and what part of the bill the police union is taking issue with when we come back. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. The Ohio State Senate passed a bill that will allow concealed carry weapons without a license. 10TV's Olivia Eugenio spoke with people on both sides of the argument. Senate Bill 215 passed in the Senate and groups are divided. Buckeye Firearms Association absolutely supports. We believe that there are some things in here that jeopardize officer safety. The bill makes concealed carry permits optional for those over the age of 21, which includes the training and background checks. It also changes the way those carrying interact with police. Constitutional carry or permitless carry will fix this problem and allow people to exercise their constitutional rights. But the Fraternal Order of Police is concerned. The Attorney General's office says in 2020, 2,047 licenses were suspended. 1,777 were denied. If passed, the FOP says those people would be able to carry. Because they're not going to go through a background check or a a recheck of their their, um, criminal history. Currently, anyone carrying must alert officers when stopped. This bill would only require carriers to notify officers when asked. We believe that just a a simple notification, a couple of words uh, with your hands in the steering wheel or in plain sight is not burdensome to anybody who uh, is out there carrying a firearm. We believe that this is a good idea because it puts everyone at ease, makes everything easier, and it's a lot more clear than the current law. Now that the bill has passed the Senate, the next step is to head to the House. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. The House passed a similar bill last month. The House also passed a bill that would set a minimum of 20 hours of training necessary for school employees to conceal carry. They also approved Senate Bill 157, or the Born Alive Bill. The bill would require physicians to provide life-saving care to babies who survive failed abortions. It could force the closure of two women's clinics in Dayton and Cincinnati. Abortion rights activists say that very few botched abortions occur, resulting in fetuses being born alive, since Ohio prohibits abortion at 20 weeks of gestation. We're here, um, you know, the last bill before our Christmas break. We can end on a high note. The Senate also passed a bill to expand medical marijuana conditions. The bill would add migraines, autism, opioid use disorder, and any condition that could, quote, reasonably be expected to be relieved from the drug. SB 261 would also change other aspects, including how medical marijuana is regulated and adding more dispensaries. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Remember, if it affects you and your family and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state.
That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent. Or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council. We have the world at our fingertips. Inspiration in our touch and power in our hands. Right here. In our hands, we have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's hands-only CPR campaign. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Susan Che, who is the Executive Director of Ohio Legal Help. How are you? Good, Dave. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. We've talked to you a couple of times before, and uh, right off the bat, let's just talk about Ohio Legal Help. What is it? Sure. So Ohio Legal Help is a statewide legal help website, and we are designed to help folks who are, um, we call them engaging in self-help. So in other words, um, they may not be able to afford an attorney. Um, maybe they want to research a little bit more, but folks who are going to try to um, navigate the legal process themselves, we provide really great, um, you know, state-of-the-art tools and then legal information on core legal topics like divorce, landlord-tenant, and now our new domestic violence module tool. And this is at ohiolegalhelp.org, and it's also uh, localized for all areas of the state. Yeah, I mean, Ohio is very much about, you know, I've grown up in, I've grown up in Ohio, um, and we're very much a home rule state. And so we made a really concerted effort to make everything localized. So it's not only just localized for the 88 Ohio counties, but um, down to um, um, the city that you live in. And you mentioned the domestic violence. You have uh, put some new information and a lot of help on there for victims of domestic violence. Yeah, so about a year ago, um, the Advisory Committee on Domestic Violence, which sits with the Supreme Court of Ohio, approached us because, you know, um, you know it's, it's domestic violence is unfortunately always an issue. But with the isolation brought on by the pandemic, you know, hotlines throughout the state were seeing increased calls. Um, but at the same time, filings were going down, and so... We were trying to think through how technology may be able to bridge that gap to give, you know, 
victims and survivors a tool and a tool that they can access 24-7 when it's safe for them to do so. And actually, without a computer, we built these tools so that you can access everything on your mobile phone. That's great. Some of this stuff are th- issues that we've heard a lot about. There's been uh, even legislation dealing with civil protection orders and, and the difficulty in filing them or getting them to take effect. And uh, maybe this, in some cases, will help streamline that process for folks that are trying to file this stuff. Yeah, so we, we, we provide, so like, you know, maybe a victim has just 30 minutes, they're, you know, it's time when they're safe. They, you know, they have a phone or a safe computer. Um, they can find their information. They can read about basically all the steps of how to get a civil protective order. But then in addition to that, we have, and it's built for your phone again, we have a, it's called a, like a TurboTax-like tool where we guide you step-by-step. And, you know, like, like TurboTax, you fill in information. And, and at the end, after you hit submit, You'll have all the documents you need to then file um, your civil order of protection request. Now, in addition to that, we, we help find your local court and connect you with your local court so that you can find out, you know, because courts sometimes have domestic violence coordinators that can help, you know, put together a safety plan. Um, there are advocates in the area. So we want to make sure that not only was it the form, but that we provided the very local resources to help that victim, um, not only to help file those forms, but also maybe the victim needs to go to shelter, maybe the person needs to escape. And we want to make sure that not only was it the legal process, but they had access to the good domestic violence resources in the state. And I like that when you go uh, onto the website, ohiolegalhelp.org, to do this, to fill out a a civil protection order, there's a lot of reminders and advice and, uh, you know, just reminding folks you're dealing with a dangerous situation that can escalate it, and you need to, you know, be careful with your decision-making. And then if you have kids or if you're an immigrant, other things to keep in mind as well. Yeah, one of the things that was really important to the Supreme Court and to the advisory committee was that, you know, in our, in our guidance, you know, it's called a guided interview, um, that we really help folks understand, you know, basically in some situations, the order of protection may not be the best choice for you. Um, and so we worked with experts in the state from the Ohio Domestic Violence Network and the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland to put together basically a Q&A, really simple, Again, you can do it on your phone. Um, just so that if, you know, maybe you're an immigrant, there there could be really different things, and, and you should speak with an attorney. There are attorneys that can potentially assist you, so we want to connect those folks right away. If you have children, um, it's always complicated, um, whether you're facing a civil protection order or other family law issue. And, and sometimes it's so complicated, you need to speak with an attorney. And so what we did working with the advisory committee and the experts was put together a simple question and answer that then provides further guidance. And we wanted to make sure that victims had the best information to make those decisions. Well, the timing on all this seems good because, you know, the Ohio Domestic Violence Network has said that new reporting is, is indicating that domestic violence is up. The lockdown and the pandemic, probably a contributor to that. And households maybe are 
loosening up a little bit more, but you still may have victims who spend time at home instead of in an office all the time where maybe they've got time to pursue legal help in some way. And so this comes along at a good time, it seems like. Yeah, we, we think that the timing with um, some of the pandemic restrictions um, and as folks, as we're, I guess, you know, we're going on to the next phase, um, that we hope that um, victims will utilize the tool again, Dave, like you said, at Ohio Legal Help. Org. And if they click on the family law square, um, we basically ask them just a couple questions and get them to the right information, whether, again, if you're seeking a CPO, it will take you there. If you're seeking you know, other family law issues, whether like custody or something, it will take you there as well. But again, we think that timing for victims right now works really well. Um, courts are open, so accepting filings. Um, so you know, again, encouraging folks to take action safely. And then also, unfortunately, we know that the holidays sometimes bring additional stressors. And it is, unfortunately, a time when um, domestic violence occurs sometimes at higher rates. And so as we go into this, you know, season, um, we want to make sure that folks are aware of this tool. Um, And even if it's not you in this situation, like if you're, you know, part of a church, we again, we want folks to understand that this information is out there, and so if folks can share with their networks as well. You mentioned that the Ohio Supreme Court uh, was instrumental in helping this along, and actually, from what I recall, Ohio Legal Help itself, your roots kind of go back to the Ohio Supreme Court. It does. Good memory, yeah. I mean, we, um, we were a recommendation that a site like ours be built, and it was um, um, Chief Justice O'Connor um, put together an Access to Justice Task Force, and we are recommendation six of that task force. And then um, a really diverse group of stakeholders, including public libraries, um, came together to say, let's make this happen. And so we are the um, fruition of that first that task force recommendation, and then a group of really committed stakeholders throughout the state um, coming together to say, let's make this thing, let's make it happen, let's launch it, and then, um, and then the tool, let's make sure that everybody knows about it. Talking with Susan Che, Executive Director of Ohio Legal Help, how much uh, is the website being utilized these days, and, and what are some of the big topics that people are looking up? On any given month, we have about 55,000 um, unique users. In other words, that means that they, they're new to the website sometimes. So, but on average, we have about 55,000 folks on the website seeking information. Um, right now, we're seeing a lot of trending. I think it reflects the economy. Um, we're seeing, at least in the last week, there's trending in terms of folks seeking information on COVID stimulus checks. I think there's been a lot infrastructure, things like that, the folks are thinking about that, and so we've seen that trending. But in general, the trending right now is that um, we are seeing, and, and I, to be clear, this was expected, we're seeing now um, folks coming to our website um, seeking bread and butter issues again, like family law, custody, child support, um, divorce. Um, sometimes what happens when the economy improves is that households that literally could not afford to separate before can, and so now we're seeing um, those resources um, being utilized 
um, in higher numbers than certainly during the pandemic. Um, and then we've seen a shift in terms of the um, landlord-tenant. So be- during the pandemic, obviously there was a moratorium, and so we assisted over 20,000 folks fill out the um, CDC eviction moratorium form. Um, that has ended, um, as have the moratoria. And so what we're seeing now actually is a rise in folks um, seeking information about the eviction timeline. How much time do I have? What is the process? So it, it is reflective of, of what folks are thinking, but those are the current trends that we're seeing now. And then uh, we've helped over a million folks since we launched, and I can't believe it, in 2019, that's how new we are, but we've assisted over a million folks. So we'll probably assist just in this um, year alone about three-quarters of a million folks. Wow. So if somebody is uh, considering a divorce or, let's say, somebody has found out that their spouse is planning to divorce them and maybe they don't want it to happen, either side of that issue, can you find resources on OhioLegalHelp.org? Yes. So one is the divorce complaint and one is the divorce answer, right? And so um, if, let's say, um, and I'll talk about kind of different possibilities here. So if you are seeking a divorce and let's say you you don't have kids, um, and what we're seeing now is interesting. You're seeing um, couples divorcing later when they don't have children, um, but we're also seeing, obviously, um, divorce across the board. But in Ohio, in the last 10 years, the number one filing has been divorce without kids, and so I'll talk about that. So let's say that's where you are. You can come to our website. We have information about the entire process, um, and then we have a similar TurboTax-like form that leads everyone through and at the end it's about 30 or 40 pages um, but it's a completely filled out divorce complaint with the appropriate request hmm. now if you are on the opposite side of that let's say and you've been served with a divorce complaint we have something called a divorce answer um, which is a downloadable form it's relatively straightforward and an answer is what exactly what it sounds like it's basically you read through the divorce complaint and you answer whether or not you agree or disagree with maybe, for instance, the grounds for divorce. Usually incompatibility is the number one grounds for divorce in Ohio. So maybe you don't agree that you're incompatible and you want them to prove it. Um, You can actually deny that and that is one way to, I guess, contest, if you will, the divorce. And we also have a counterclaim. So, for instance, if you want to say, well, in addition to incompatibility, I actually think this is another reason why we should get divorced. Sometimes folks do that. But these are the uniform domestic relations forms provided um, through a committee of the Supreme Court. And so those are the forms you will find on Ohio Legal Help. Now, if the couple can agree on everything, and when I say everything, I mean everything, um, you can also find the dissolution forms on our site as well. There's a uniform dissolution forms. And so those are the generally three most utilized um, family law forms on our site. But we also have information on if you need to change child support or custody as well. I'm assuming that because it is a legal site where you can access uh, lawyers or, or find out how to get a hold of them, even if you've got like a, a dispute with your neighbor about your fence or something, you can find information about that, right? Well, we also have Find a Lawyer, which is very popular, right? It's, it's, um, um, it's a really popular tool that folks use, and it's essentially what that does, and for like, a, a, like let's say a fence dispute 
computer. Um, uh, you know, common law school hypothetical is, you know, part of a branch falls in your yard, that kind of a thing. Right. Um, you can find a lawyer through our website. It, it's at the top of all our navigation. Click on find a lawyer. And if you give us some geographic information, we're going to connect you to the local bar association lawyer referral service, and they can help connect you to the right lawyer. So, for instance, a fence dispute, a property dispute, a tree falling in your yard, that kind of dispute. Um, um, there, are, you know, there are great local attorneys that can help. And really, folks need to think about this. Lawyers, I think, get a bad rap for being unaffordable, but for simple things, sometimes um, it is well worth your dollars to do and get yourself uh, a good local lawyer to help you just even think through that issue. Um, and so we can guide you there. Now, if you are low income and, let's say, a victim of domestic violence, you need to find an attorney. Um, we have a built-in tool that's actually possible, but also available um, depending on where you are on the site. Um, but legal aid, we have a finder legal aid tool as well. I mean, for folks who are low income who can't otherwise afford an attorney, and for really core critical issues, legal aid can assist, for instance, evictions right now. Um, and so we have a great tool to help folks find their local legal aid as well. It's great to make all this stuff more accessible. I, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. however long ago it was, 30 years ago or whenever the People's Court started, the TV show, and yeah. Ju- Judge Judy and all that, there were stories that came out that said people felt more familiar with small claims court after that and became more active at, at defending their rights, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think any time that you can kind of demystify, right, um, and show that this is this is something that you can do, right, um, I think that helps folks think through and, and have more confidence in maybe doing this themselves. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what we like to say is we provide the full continuum of services. So, for instance, if you if it's somebody that says, you know what, this is something I want to do it myself, maybe I'm private, this is something I want to do, we provide the tools so that someone can do that. Now, if but we also have guidance on the site that says, you know, this is a really complicated issue. Think about getting an attorney. Um, and then if that's where they are, they can click immediately and find you know, a local bar association or a referral service. You know, maybe they're facing eviction and they're low income um, and they want the help of legal aid. Again, right on the website, on that page, we believe in an interactive, integrated experience. They click find your legal aid and, and they can literally dial from their phone. And so, you know, again, this is about trying to remove barriers. It's about trying to make that civil justice system as accessible for folks as possible. And that's also the reason why our website is actually built for your phone, so we're considered mobile first. And so everything that we do is with that mobile user in mind, uh, which is kind of where the web is going. I mean, I'm sure during the pandemic we were all on our phones more than we thought. Um, And right now about 70% of our users are accessing our site via their smartphone, and during the weekend it goes up to 80%. Hmm. Wow. Talking with Susan Che. She's the executive director of Ohio Legal Help. Just a moment or so to go here. Anything else you'd like to add? Now, other than, again, whether you're, you have just a question about general legal issues, facing eviction, or, you know, maybe you're in an abusive situation, we have information that can help you at ohiolegalhelp.org. Outstanding. Susan, thanks so much for your time today. Dave, thanks so much for having us on and getting the word out on Ohio Legal Help. 
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.